1: Pastor Keith Crosby of Hillside Church.
2: No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. An athlete is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. It is the hard-working farmer who ought to have a first share of the crops. Think over what I say, for the Lord will give you understanding in everything.
0: Every chain of the past, you've broken into all the fear of the lies. We're singing the truth that nothing is impossible with you. Oh, nothing is impossible.
1: Some people see church as a social club, or sometimes even a country club. In fact, there are many people that come to church or even some that stay home for church for all kinds of different reasons. Some are good and some not so good. Well, hello and welcome to today's edition of the Grace to Live radio broadcast with Keith Crosby, Senior Pastor of Hillside Church in San Jose, California. We are so grateful that you've chosen to spend time with us today on the broadcast. And as always, we would encourage you to follow along with us in your Bibles if you can. On today's edition of Grace to Live, we're continuing with our series covering the pastoral epistles, and we're going to be returning to the book of 2 Timothy. So if you have your Bibles, please turn with us today to 2 Timothy Chapter 2, as we hear a message that Pastor Keith has entitled The Facts of Life, Embracing the Hardships. Now here's Pastor Keith with today's study.
2: Heavenly Father, we come before you and we ask for wisdom from on high. Wisdom for living each day forth, Lord, in an increasingly hostile culture, in an increasingly Christless world, Father, Christless in the sense that your witness is here, Father, but the world has lost touch with who the Savior is. And so, Lord, as we think through how to live out our faith, how how to... how to hang in there and to hang on when the going gets tough. Lord, show us the way forward through your word. Give us opportunities to minister from today forth through Easter and beyond. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Last time, we uh, began by thinking about the context of uh, 1 Timothy, uh, 2 Timothy chapter 2. This is an an unusual uh, pastoral epistle. You know, the pastoral epistles are 1 Timothy, Titus, and 2 Timothy. In, In this particular pastoral epistle, Paul is at the end of his ministry. He is locked up and imprisoned as an enemy of the state. He has no hope of release. He's not under house arrest this time. He is in the dreadful Mamertine prison in the lower dungeon, which was usually a holding pen for people who were about to be executed. Everyone who has ministered alongside him seemingly has abandoned him. Luke is there with him. Wanisiphorus has visited him, and he writes to Timothy, who is no doubt wondering what happens next. How do we survive? What, what's going to happen without Paul? What am I going to do? And he writes, to encourage Timothy think about this you're about to be beheaded because Paul was a Roman citizen you're about to be executed you're in a terrible prison you're by yourself pretty much the people that you trusted have run off and you write to encourage this 30 something year old maybe 40 year old young man Timothy who is kind of gone wobbly and and in so doing Paul encourages Timothy to keep on keeping on, to hang in there when the times are tough. And in so doing, Paul encourages you and me and Hillside Church and every other church that follows Christ and teaches his Bible. And so we look today to this epistle so that we can hang in when the times get tough. Because the culture, as we talked about last time with the opening illustrations, is increasingly increasingly godless and increasingly hostile. You remember I mentioned Pastor James Coates imprisoned in Edmonton, Canada for his service to Christ. And while the culture has sort of gaslighted him and made accusations against him that aren't true, he is still in prison and they are going to keep him until May, until his trial date, because he would not promise that he would not preach as he had done before in person to his congregation. Last time we discussed the troubling developments in Scotland where you can be prosecuted for what you say inside the four walls of your home. If you use the wrong pronouns, if you say the wrong things, if you don't speak in a way that is culturally sensitive, which many people would accuse Christians of not doing. We talked about the Equality Act in our own country. And how that endangers the welfare and safety of the church and even criminalizes some of the teaching that we would do and some of the things that we would say. It endangers orphanages, hospitals, seminaries, Bible colleges and churches alike. And I talked about how this is sort of like, it seems to be happening gradually and it certainly has happened, you know, it's almost as if... The church has taken her eye off the ball and all this has just sort of sprung up. But the heat has been turned up on us gradually, as I said before, like a frog in a kettle. And you might want to say, well, how much worse could it get? It can get a lot worse. Let me tell you about AB 1084 and it's going through the California Assembly and is expected to pass. That's in a New York Post headline. But essentially this, Big stores in California would have to get rid of separate boys and girls departments in terms of clothes and toys. And if they didn't, they would face a $1,000 fine for that. And any online store would have to dedicate a section uh, to uh, kids or unisex or gender neutral things. In other words, you can't say boys clothes and girls clothes. Now they say you could choose the terminology kids unisex or gender at the discretion of the retailer as if the retailers have the freedom to choose but we know that's not true. That was introduced last year in scrap because of the pandemic but now they're moving it through the assembly and as if that weren't bad enough for those of you who may who may or may not listen to the podcast one school district in California has 40 LGBTQ holidays with which it takes class time to indoctrinate the students in the public schools. I want you to think about that. Now no other religion, no other people group has that many commemorative days. There are something like 39. One month has 31 days and 31 icons that they celebrate, uh, gay or lesbian icons. And there's even a day that encourages them to confront people of faith about their trans or, or homophobia. These are hard times and they're getting tougher. And the but the truth is it's not just, you know, I know a lot of people are leaving California for a variety of reasons, but Vanderbilt University in Tennessee is in the process and has already kicked Christian groups off campus that would not allow non-Christians to hold office to hold office in the student organization. That would endanger things like Campus Crusader Crew or InterVarsity or a number of other groups. This is the world in which we live, and it is worldwide. It is nationwide. And the question is, what do we do? How do we survive? How do we thrive in the midst of all this heat that is being gradually and at times not so gradually turned up on us? What will we do? What will it take well the answer, I believe, is found in Second Timothy, and particularly in today's passage, Second Timothy two, one through seven. Let me read that for you, and then we'll sort of dig in here and unpack it. Second Timothy two, verse one. You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Share in the suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. An athlete is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. It is the hard-working farmer Who ought to have a first share of the crops? Think over what I say, for the Lord will give you understanding in everything. What we have here is spiritual self discipline. It's the call to discipline our souls to serve God in the days ahead. In the most difficult of times, where do we find this? Call to spiritual self discipline, which is a call to obedience and faithfulness and trust. Where do we find that? Well, you, you see it in the examples given in the text. This theme is woven through this particular text. Consider the soldiers suffering together in battle to defend and protect the homeland. Then there's the athlete agonizing to compete according to the rules that he may win the prize. Then there is the hard working farmer engaged in the backbreaking sweaty delayed gratification type work of planting the seeds and waiting to see when the rains come if they will germinate bud and break through. And so what we have here is this call you know self control is one of the fruits of the spirit right? This is, what it's, this is what it's all about, to respond and not react to the culture, to think biblically and live out our faith in a compelling, meaningful, deliberate, thoughtful way. And so last week, we began to discuss four forms of spiritual self-discipline so that we could make them our own. And so let me just sort of pick up here a little bit and review for those of you who may not have been with us the first time. Uh, first, we considered the discipline of staying focused on the grace of God. Sometimes we feel overwhelmed and we need to remember all that God has already done for us so that we can take stock in His watch care and His love and His sovereignty and His providence and His shepherdship over us. Don't ever think that He stopped providing. No matter the hardships, we must not forget that God has provided everything we need and will not stop providing for us. Where do we see this? You see this in the first verse, right? Second Timothy 2, 1. You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. This is the, what I call the discipline of remembrance. Be strengthened. The grammar there points to the fact that you're going to receive something from outside of yourself. Be strengthened as you're receiving the action. And the action is that you're receiving grace from God. And it's a call to remembrance, to cling to what is true. It's a command that is oddly in the passive voice because you're the recipient of the action, the recipient of God's empowerment. And it's a reminder that God has provided for you, that he will provide, because that's who and how he is. And so that you suffer hardship, you you uh, suffer persecution because you are bearing witness to Him, because you are honoring Him with your lips and your lives, and that suffering and hardship is never wasted. And so you take stock in who God is, and you take stock in how God is, and all that He's done for you in the past, and you remember this, and it gives you strength for the day. 1 Corinthians ten thirteen. there's no temptation taken you, but such is, not, such is not common to man. But God is faithful. And he won't suffer you above your ability to withstand so that you may be, and he'll provide a way to escape that you will be able to endure it. Remember the faithfulness of God. You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And so as we feel and sense and experience the change and perhaps the collapse of some form of Judeo-Christian culture worldwide, as we seek to prevent our children from being indoctrinated, We must remember there's nothing new under the sun and God will provide. Nothing takes him by surprise. You trusted him to save you, trust him to sustain you. Be strengthened, receive strength from the graces that are in Christ Jesus. The second form of spiritual self-discipline is to remain focused on passing the baton to the right people. We call it the discipline of passing the baton to the right people. Call it the spiritual discipline of investment, or mentoring, or discipleship, or investing in others. Which, as we observed, is something that must be done in community. Where do we see that? We see that in 2 Timothy two. Paul goes on to say, Be strengthened, and what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. We talked about this last time. Don't miss the plurals there. This is being done in community. You see the words witnesses, men, plural. Others is a plural. And what he's basically saying is what you have seen and heard, what you have learned from me, Timothy, pass on to other faithful men. Invest in their discipleship. And we observed that this cannot be done in isolation. It cannot be done remotely. Just as a mother cannot nurse her children remotely, we cannot do church remotely forever. Christianity is taught, and yes, it is also caught, like a virus. A contagion spread through human contact. A good virus. And it takes community. It takes the assembling of ourselves together. We need each other. I need you, you need me. The church needs the different members of the body of Christ. It's like children can't learn social skills in isolation. They have to interact with other children and learn from other children and play with and make friends with other children. In the same way, the children of God learn and acquire, in the same way, spiritual growth, wisdom combined as iron sharpens iron. And I know that distance learning is the rage today. But when you think about it, everything Jesus did was highly interpersonal. Even the miracles, there are really only two miracles involving people where he didn't touch someone. And just as the human species cannot reproduce remotely, neither can the church of Jesus Christ. You have that body of Christ analogy. The hand cannot say to the foot, I have no need of you. The eye cannot say to the hand, to the ear, I have no need of you. We need to be together as a unit, as a family. And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses... And trust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. This is discipleship. This is the reproductive biology of the Christian faith. This is what undergirds the need for discipleship, is a community of encouragement, of strengthening, mutual strengthening. We need to be connected with genuine believers to encourage us, to support us, to mentor us, to disciple us. We need to serve and serve with others and among others the genuine family of believers where we can touch and influence one another's lives, where we can pass on the treasure that has been entrusted to our care physically as Jesus did to others. And so we talked about the need to make the gathering together a priority. We have to make it a priority through the spiritual discipline of investing in others, of passing the baton from one human being to the next. And that involves us being together. What you have heard from me and in the presence of many witnesses and trust to faithful men who will make, who will be able to teach others. Make church, make in-person worship, make discipleship, make serving together, just like in this volunteer fair out here, a priority. We need you. We need you here. We need to encourage you. You need to encourage us. We need to encourage one another. With the love of Christ, with the hope of Christ, as a family. Speaking of priorities, and now we sort of move into uh, this week's sermon, this week's message, part two. Our third form of spiritual self discipline is the discipline of remaining focused on the right objectives. The self-discipline of prioritizing your suffering, of, of, of obedience, of, of faithfulness, the spiritual self-discipline of suffering or priority. They are two sides of the same coin. Sacrifice and obedience go together. And again, we see this uh, in verse 3. In concert with others, surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, 2 Timothy 2, 3 through 4, share share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits since his aim or her aim is to please the one who enlisted him. An army is only as good as its individual soldiers and their commitment to the mission, individually and collectively. Share in the suffering means join with others in the suffering. Just as Timothy was to join in Paul's suffering, not to be embarrassed or ashamed of his chains, so you and I join in each other's suffering as we serve together as comrades in arms, as brothers and sisters in arms, as independent parts of the body of Christ fit jointly together. There's a command here, and unlike verse 1 which is in the passive voice, this is in the active voice. You share, you as the implied you, the understood you, you share in the suffering. And sharing involves numbers of people. Obedience and suffering requires discipline, self-control that we might go against our natural inclinations to be fearful creatures and by act of will through the spiritual discipline of priority, be like those firemen at the World Trade Center who ran, rushed into a burning building. That's what's going on here. Share in the suffering as a good soldier. I remember watching those men on that day and then watching the films after, running into a building where some or all of them, as it turned out, were sure to be injured or killed. I listened to an interview recently uh, of, by, of a gentleman named Michael Day. He's written a b- book called Perfectly Wounded in the Anbar province in Iraq in 2007, I believe it was. He uh, breached a door in a house with two or three of his comrades with about 10 people behind him. And he was shot three times as he came through the door and he collapsed in a heap on the ground. And they, they shot the other two people and, and they just opened fire. These people had, uh, you know... AK-47s, which are roughly 30 caliber. Some of them had M16s, which are two, two, three high high-velocity bullets. And they shot the gun out of his hand, and he collapsed on the floor, and he was severely wounded. They penetrated his uh, uh, body armor, and he saw that his friends were in jeopardy, and he knew if he laid there, because he was right at the feet of the people who shot him. If he just laid there, he might survive. But instead, he picked up his weapon, somehow reassembled it, and return fire and they shot him another 24 times before it was all over. And he neutralized the bad guys and saved a lot of lives. But that goes against our desire, doesn't it? But he wasn't thinking about his life. He wasn't thinking about his problems. He was thinking about his call to serve. To share in the suffering as a good soldier. In that case of the, US, of the Navy SEALs, the U.S. Navy... We are called to share in suffering as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. You see this soldier analogy here. That's putting your life on hold, your preferences on hold, and carrying out the mission that has been assigned to you, not from the Pentagon, but from the God of the universe, undistracted by civilian affairs in order to please God. It, it involves focus on commitment, Share in the suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. Then you have these examples in the text, right? The soldier, the athlete, the hardworking farmer, people who put things on hold, delayed gratification, who make first things first.
1: And you can also find links to Pastor Keith's blog, as well as the Out of My Mind podcast. The website is also a great place to connect with us here at Hillside. You can find information on our service times, ministry opportunities, and of course you can browse our calendar of upcoming events. Again, all this and much, much more can be found by visiting our website, hillsidechurch.org. Well, we hope that you'll join us again next time on Grace to Live.